Welcome and thank you for listening to the Voice of Business podcast. Uh, we're your hosts, Kyle Jacobson and Eddie McBride. Uh, you might be thinking to yourself, I've never heard of the Voice of Business podcast. I don't think I've listened to this before. And you'd be right because this is our inaugural episode. Um, and what we hope to do on this podcast is discuss issues of importance to the business community from a government affairs standpoint, uh, whether that's an issue that's originating from City Hall here in Lubbock, uh, down at the state capitol in Austin, or even up in Washington, D.C. Uh, today, we're going to discuss the proposed $15 federal minimum wage and the impact that that might have on Lubbock area businesses. Kyle, thank you very much. This is a treat to be here for our first Voice of Business podcast. And and uh, I'm Eddie McBride. I work for Kyle uh, <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. We exchange positions occasionally, but nonetheless, this is a treat to be able to especially get this started on such an important issue, uh, $15 minimum wage and the potential impacts what it will do to not only businesses in Lubbock, but all across the nation. Eddie, uh, tell the listeners what your first job was, and if you remember what you made per hour at that job. Well, my first job where I actually had tax withheld was when after I got out of college and I was working for Chance Bot, now Lean Temco Bot, now Halliburton. And I was a park chaser, and I was making probably about uh, $12 an hour with a college degree working in an aircraft industry. So it was uh, one of these things that uh, wasn't a whole lot of money. I actually ended up probably over a period of time, I think the total salary, even though I'd made $12 an hour, I didn't work full time. I'd made probably about $12,000 a year after taxes. My- 75, 1975. Okay. I wasn't going to ask you to date yourself, but I, uh, my, my first job where taxes were withheld, you know, besides mowing lawns in the neighborhood, was uh, shortly after the last federal minimum wage adjustment, uh, so it was 7.25, and I, I worked at the movie theater in high school, and I was hired at that 7.25 per hour rate, and following a 30-day trial run, I guess, where, you know, I proved I could show up on time with my shirt tucked in, I got a 25-cent raise to 7.50 an hour. Um, so anyway, I just wanted our listeners to know a little bit more about, uh, maybe where we started and, um, how much time has gone by since then. But, um, you know, the, the chamber of commerce, you know, when this issue popped up, uh, with the new administration, um, wanted to do a little bit of research and, and kind of weigh the pros and cons. And it has been more than a decade since the minimum wage was adjusted. And so, you know, we think it's a, a warranted conversation, but, uh, trying to figure out the dollar amount that you know balances the needs and interests of both employers and employees. Um, Eddie, do you want to go over some of the data that we found? Yeah, some of the biggest information that's driving this back. I got a little bit of information from Ray Perryman, who, as the former Texas demographer, has done a lot of economic research on it. And one of the most important things that I think I've heard him actually report on is back when they did the 2009 adjustment adjustment to $7.25 an hour, coming up from five-something five an hour, the private purchasing power of individuals was at that point in time $7.25 an hour. So that was a very good adjustment to what the private purchasing power was. Now, over a decade long, longer uh, away, 12 years ago, uh, compared ours is $8.75 an hour is what the private purchasing power is right now. So making a jump from what that that same jump from 2009 
to what we're trying to do in 2021 is way exaggerated based on what those statistics and those those other numbers are. So I think all in all, we've, we've talked about entry level versus living wage. We'll talk about all sorts of things like the one size doesn't fit all. But if you look at the statistics and everything, it's not one of these feel good, passionate things that you base it on. It's actually based on the numbers. So I think that uh, very well could be a good starting position in any conversations. If you look at the, the same, uh, same points in time, in the same private purchasing power and compare the two, I think that might be a good entry-level conversation to have nowadays. Yeah, and I do think it's also fair to discuss cost of living differences. Um, you know, as large and diverse as the United States is, you know, there are cities like Lubbock um, that are lower cost of living for a city our size, I would say. Um, and, and there's other cities, you know, without even just going to the East Coast or the West Coast, but even within the state of Texas with a pretty drastic difference in cost of living. I think I pulled um, some recent data on housing prices and the median home price um, in Lubbock was about 200,000 and down the road in Austin, it was upwards of 350,000. Uh, all that just to say the, the amount of money you need per hour on, a, on a, a salary basis in Lubbock is not the same amount that you would need in Austin. And, you know, we think that if the discussion starts from, you know, what people need in the highest cost of living cities and then that's mandated down towards cities like Lubbock where we don't have a high cost of living uh, that has a disparate impact on employers and employees here and obviously we don't want to see anybody's hours get cut or positions eliminated uh, if it's not a workable solution here locally. And that's exactly what will happen if they just institute across the board. We know that uh, it's going to be the house plan is to institute it over a several year basis and so that might minimize somewhat the impact, but it's not going to be minimized enough to keep potential employers from letting employees go or reducing their hours. And it's going to really impact, obviously, their cost of sales. Right. And I think the state by state or localized approach has also um, has worked pretty well to an extent. You know, before the COVID-19 pandemic, um, a former U.S. Treasury economist named Ernie Tedeschi found that uh, workers who were employed in minimum wage positions actually averaged close to $12 per hour. And so it's not as if minimum wage workers across the country are, are stuck at that 725 rate. You know, because of local and state adjustments to account for cost of living, um, most of them made um, a pretty substantial amount more than that federal level. So um, anyway, we also want to discuss these issues with, um, with some area businesses here in Lubbock and kind of get their thoughts on it. Uh, so we're joined today by Eric Lee, who is the CFO from Bahama Bucks, and we're hoping he can give us some uh, on-the-ground insight on how this issue would impact their business. Um, Eric, do you want to just take a minute to introduce Bahama Bucks to some of our listeners? You bet. Uh, Bahama Bucks started a little over 30 years ago right here in Lubbock, Texas, uh, opened by my partner, Blake Buchanan, and his father, who built the little building out on Brownfield Highway then at that point. Uh, while in college, we uh, formed uh, uh, our company together, moved out to Arizona, started franchising, and currently today we have about 106 uh, retail units that are open with 80 more in development. And uh, of course, we're a dessert concept, but uh, we have our ties here. We put our headquarters in Lubbock, Texas. Here's where we want to live, work, and play. Perfect. Well, uh, you kind of touched on it that y'all started small and have grown into a company that employs a lot of people, not just here in Lubbock, but across the country. Um, you know, and so I think y'all are a great example of a business that can, you know, can thrive and grow in the right conditions. 
Um, and so when this $15 minimum wage was kind of first proposed and started gaining some steam, um, can you describe what the reaction was like at Bahama Bucks for y'all specifically? Yeah, you know, it was uh, three words come to mind from the markets that uh, haven't had to deal with this yet. And those owners called, they're either shocked, uh, they had fear, or they were mad at me for some reason. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot of concern, of course, with uh, a lot of things going on in the world. But I would say outside of pandemic, this was the number two issue that popped up uh, right away as soon as that got uh, announced. We have, uh, you know, roughly about 2,500 employees uh, at Bahama Bucks between all the stores. Most of those employees are entry-level jobs for first-time jobs for 16 to 18-year-old age range workers. And so uh, $15 an hour all of a sudden really uh, catches the attention in our market because we, we do uh, live by minimum wage. We do start at that point uh, as we are um, adding staff members. And then we tend to raise our staff members from that point based upon uh, you know their performance or work performance and so forth. So it's an important, important starting point for us. Uh, it's an important job for somebody that's at an entry level trying to learn, you know, what the work environment's like. And so to all of a sudden see that shift come up, uh, that was a pretty big shock for us. Well, and Eric, the 106 different locations and how many ever states, it's going to be so difficult with a one-size-fits-all approach to a federal minimum wage of this nature. And we know that uh, and of all places, Lubbock is not like any other places, and you got a whole bunch of other places that aren't like other places as well. So our cost of living and everything, the way that it, that it actually impacts us as far as being able to pay anything above the, that minimum wage now for entry level is pretty difficult to assume. When you work in so many other states and everything, and if there is a federal mandate for, for $15, I guess what the, the House of Representatives version is right now, we start at 12 and then get up to 15 by, by four years, by 2025. What would that do to all of your locales, much less us in Lubbock? Yeah, you know, we've witnessed this. We have uh, seven uh, states that we're in currently have been going through this process. And it's a very, very strenuous process to go through a lot of uncertainty. Uh, there's a lot of shift in um, consumer behavior that we see. Uh, our owners, of course, are having to adjust payroll and uh, modify their operations uh, in ways we don't really want to do that, i.e. sometimes we have price uh, shifts in there. So we're raising prices to offset that, of course. Um, you know, we've been preparing for that for states that we're in that haven't had to confront this and we're already putting our plan in place. But kind of, kind of give you an idea from a cultural perspective, we are in Puerto Rico as well, which uh, in their impact for this would be so much more dramatic. And I looked at, I looked at Puerto Rico versus Washington, D.C., just to kind of give me a barometer of, of what we'd be comparing. So in Puerto Rico, the average wage rate uh, for an individual is $10 an hour, roughly. And, and in Washington, D.C., you're at $35 an hour. So a $15 increase doesn't necessarily affect Washington near like it would Puerto Rico. Now, the problem is, of course, with our stores there, uh, whenever they get hit with that, if that were to go through, then all of a sudden they're adjusting operations, but not enough to offset that cost increase. And so they're going to have to raise their prices. Well, unfortunately, the, the per capita income in, in Puerto Rico is $12,000 uh, versus Washington, D.C., which is at $56,000. So for somebody to be able to afford a $4 snow cone and it jumps to $6, 
big difference in Puerto Rico versus Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, I don't think that we're going to you know, be able to survive in that kind of environment if that were to happen in Puerto Rico. And so uh, culturally, there can't be a one-size-fit-all model for our concept. It's going to uh, go through quite a bit of struggle and pain in different markets compared to, you know, somewhere like on the coastal areas where we can offset some of those costs and people understand that. Can't always do that in other markets. And so uh, it's just going to be, uh, you know, a problem uh, for us going forward in, in many of our states that we're in. Yeah. Um, and I think you you kind of touched on this briefly before, but, you know, another aspect of this whole conversation that we think is worth highlighting is that while a minimum wage adjustment, you know, might be a worthwhile topic, um, it's not a conversation that we're having in a vacuum. I mean, um, the world was upended by the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, we're still trying to emerge from the economic downturn that that caused. And so, um, you know, that's, you know, just an, an added layer of context to all of these discussions. So, you know, with that in mind, how does, how does this conversation, uh, you know, in the context of COVID-19, how did an increased minimum wage impact decisions at Bahama Bucks going forward? You know, it, it, you're exactly right. It's a terrible situation we've come off of. In our industry, in the restaurant industry uh, specifically, you know, being down 20% in sales is actually a good 2020. So by the time you've calculated the cost and, and trying to get through uh, just that year alone, uh, whenever you, you look at adding on uh, another uh, issue that's going to affect the bottom line, uh, I, I can't see how that's going to help us here. Now, the stimulus money, the government's been propping us up, and the restaurant industry is, is highly affected by stimulus money, but how many times is the government going to send us out checks in order to keep this thing rolling? So so my, my belief is, why don't we get the economy back on its own legs and let it run without the government support? Why don't we just take a little bit of time here so that you know we're not having to hope and beg and see what this does to us. Why don't we let the economy get where it's, where it's at before we start moving forward with any other agenda items like this? Well, even attaching this minimum wage conversation to a stimulus bill is rather unusual anyway, because we know that any increase in minimum wage, the stimulus is not going to be effective for quite some time. So just like what you got through saying, it's a why don't why don't we let that issue go until we recover and. In, in when we do recover, one of the things that we've been careful about exactly how we're approaching this issue is the last last minimum wage increase, 2009, and they they went from five dollars and something an hour to seven dollars and 25 cents an hour. So if 12 years later that we actually at some point in time in the near future do adjust the minimum wage, what what is based on y'all's business model and what you know, based on your own philosophy and your background, what do you think a good approach to increasing minimum wage? If we were all to agree with the minimum wage increase, what would you think it would be? Well, I've got to first admit, I'm a little bit more of a state's rights guy. So my first thought about that was, you know, treating that uh, with a voice uh, from a state by state perspective. And what I mean by that, it's almost like income tax. You know, you have states that are going to have different philosophies moving forward. So what if all of a sudden it increases to $30? an hour. Well, we're going to have the same argument going forward that doesn't fit all. And so one of my thoughts about that was, why don't we set a uh, kind of a level from a federal perspective at a lower rate and then let states decide on how much they want to increase that on a state-by-state -state basis uh, just based upon their philosophy and, and the cultural that it, culture that it might fit in their state. 
And so I would be in favor of, you know, all of a sudden looking at where I want to live, work and play based upon possibly how much money as an individual I can make. And right now, what's interesting is while you may, may be making more income on the top line in some of the states that are pushing uh, for this heavier uh, increase in the minimum wage, the states that everybody's flocking to are the ones that generally have lower minimum wage rates. And so you're making more money. You have a decision as a person now where to go. And if all of a sudden we're mandating from a federal perspective, everybody at one position where it may not fit, I'd be really in favor of looking at it from a state's perspective and giving them a voice uh, in order to make everybody have an opportunity to make a choice on what they believe about their own uh, personal economic situation. You know, now understanding that that probably is not going to happen. Uh, the, the other part that I think you run into with the minimum wage is you have this argument about a living wage versus an entry level wage. And so two of the, the things I had about that or thoughts about I had uh, with that were one with the earned income tax credit mm -hmm. where you can take maybe the living wage worker and where they're making so much money, give them a tax uh, credit coming back. Uh, that's higher than maybe what's currently on the books. And that way, maybe a lot of my staff members who aren't worried about their earned income tax credit, they're worried about a minimum wage rate, they could make a lower level uh, while the living wage worker maybe gets a little bit of a tax break. So I like the earned income tax credit as a possibility to tweak. And then uh, another thing that I would be in favor of is expanding the exempt uh, status for people that uh, are industries that are already employing workers. And so a good example is the farming industry that I grew up in. So you, you have the ability to lower the minimum wage rate by percentage because they have been exempt from the minimum wage at a certain level. So uh, vocational workers that are 16 to 20 years old, they get a lower or they're eligible to receive a lower minimum wage break because we're trying to encourage people to get in that industry. Well, in the food industry, I'm hiring a lot of young workers. And they may not be at that living wage need. They're not at that $15 an hour. But I do want to encourage them to come in just at a lower weight, uh, rate. And so I would be in favor of maybe looking at some of the exempt statuses and maybe expanding those uh, legally as well. Well, and that's so logical because just like what we talked about a minute ago, one size doesn't fit all. And you can't use the same template across all the states and just everything you said is so much logic that uh, has so much logic and common sense. I just, uh, it, it makes sense, but we, we do know who we're dealing with here. We're not, we're not dealing with somebody that obviously always listens to logic and common sense. We're talking about the federal government. Well, uh, Eric, we certainly appreciate your time. I think you've given our listeners some really valuable insight on, uh, again, just how issues there are, how, how decisions that are made in Washington, DC can trickle down and, uh, impact businesses and employees right here in Lubbock. Um, so thank you so much for your insight and your time. Uh, and thanks to Bahama Bucks for choosing to do business here. Hey, you know, one last thing I will tell you, our owners really were fired up about this and they were asking uh, for us to put in a, uh, a way that we could address this with our local government. And I want to thank the chamber here for giving us some insight on how to contact our representatives about minimum wage, because that is, that's something we've now expanded in our, in our concept to all of our owners who are participating in that. So thank you, Eddie and the chamber for doing that for us. Yes, sir. You bet. And we, this is a pleasure to be able to do this with Eric. You know how much we appreciate both your membership as well as your partnership and what we do in our community. Well, that concludes our first episode of the Voice of Business podcast. We want to thank all of you for listening and tuning in today. 
and hope you'll keep an eye out for future episodes. If you want to make your voice heard on this issue of the federal minimum wage proposal at $15 per hour, the Chamber of Commerce, um, as Eric mentioned, created an advocacy campaign where you can directly contact your elected officials in Congress uh, to let them know what you think about the proposal. So you can find that on our website at lubbockbusinessvotes.com. And we really appreciate the opportunity to have your voice and for you to let us know what your positions are. So that'll help us develop our positions and our conversations with our elected officials in downtown City Hall in Austin at the State Capitol or Washington, D.C. So thank you for joining in and listening. And please don't hesitate to participate and let us know how you feel. Yeah.